following presentation by Taylor Fragon Capital Management LLC is intended for general information purposes only. No portion of the presentation serves as the receipt of or as a substitute for personalized investment advice from Taylor Fragon or any other investment professional of your choosing. Please see additional important disclosure at the end of this presentation. A copy of Taylor Fragon's current written disclosure brochure discussing our advisory services and fees is available upon request or at www.taylorfragon.com. Welcome to the best 30 minutes in finance. It's a long only podcast with Jerry and Doug. Jerry, Doug, how's going? good. How are you doing? I'm all right. I'm all right. I, I'm going to ask that someday and you're going to say I'm great and fantastic. I'm going to say fantastic. Great and fantastic. No, it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. Okay. No, no, never. All right. But hope springs eternal. Never know. We never know. Things can change. Things can go your way is the song from Wilson Phillips says. Got to hold on. Wilson Phillips? That, yeah. that is so not Doug. I don't know no, it's not. where it's that not. came from. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. It is not Doug. Definitely not. It's not Doug. All right, Jerry. Starting topic. State of the market. Inflection. I don't know about the yep. I don't know about the rest of the market, but we seem to be at an inflection point now. We've we've bounced back. We've had a bigger inflection point and then retraced. So I think seven times. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> In the last two years, yes. I counted. <clears throat> but we've we appear. It, to it really has stayed in the same range. It's been a, a big range, but it's been in that range for the most part. Well, the, the lower end of that range now for the seventh time, what, maybe four weeks ago, something well, like that. To that point, my favorite podcast title that we probably ever had was this podcast is, is stuck in a trading range. But, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I do think there's been an inflection point. And, and not surprisingly, as we had said it all throughout this period, that it would probably take lower interest rates and signs that inflation had abated. And we've gotten that now. Not the lower interest rates part, but certainly the signs that inflation has abated, at least the the, the the increase in inflation. Inflation, unfortunately, is always with us. And I have to laugh when people talk about it. You know, inflation coming down. Well, the growth in inflation is coming down. Yeah. We can only hope that inflation actually would go away. But that's kind of baked in the system, unfortunately. Inflation never goes backwards. <laughs> it only slows down. Well, I mean, you have deflation, but but that that it's short lived. It's not. And, and we are dangerously close to creating deflation, which is just as bad. I mean, we don't. Let, let's let's characterize what we mean by deflation and inflation. We're talking about the monetary phenomenon of the both of both of those. The normal movement of prices up and down is part of economic activity. It's part of the functioning of a of an economy. But these monetary phenomena that we've been living through more pronounced in recent, the last couple of decades, well, maybe the last seven decades, um, you know, since the dropping, you know, dropping of the gold standard, um, inflation has been a problem. And it it always will be until we get back to where we're tying our currency to something real, but that's not going to get back to, we're not going to get to that point anytime soon. So the inflection point, without getting into a big, you know, monetary discussion is, I think is with is with us. Interestingly, throughout this whole period, if this is the worst that we get from an economic standpoint, we've actually had some pretty decent economic numbers lately, surprisingly. 
just goes to show the resilience of, of economic activity, resilience of the business community. Uh, Thank you for not of, saying resiliency. <clears throat> well, in the face of what has been a pretty difficult economic environment with inflation doing what it's done over the last few years. Um, so it's a testimony to how businesses react. It's certainly, if this, if this is one more example, history now, it can be put in the history books of the Phillips curve, right? Which is the, you know, economic growth causes inflation view of the world or people, more people working causes inflation view of the world. It's been once again, uh, totally disproven. And yet we still have most policymakers subscribing to that. There has to be an, well, there is an ulterior motive, but we won't get into that either. So I think this inflection point and, and what an important one, we've talked about life after Google. I think they call it now the magnificent seven, which would include what Google, Apple, Microsoft, uh, Amazon, Meta, Meta, which was Facebook and Nvidia. Nvidia is in there now. Okay. Nvidia, so. Nvidia, that's six. So Netflix, maybe. I don't know. I'm not yeah. sure exactly what they're putting in there. Um, I've really underperformed. And, you know, those, I want to say Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, at least those seven make up like 30% of the S&P 500. So when people think they're buying the market, quote unquote, by buying an index of the S&P 500, 30% of it is those companies, seven companies. And you start going down to 25, I mean, it gets to where, you know, it's, it's 50% and more, I think more. Um, we'll get those numbers someday and quote them back. But the point is, is I've long said I can, you could see the market perform poorly and the rest of the quote unquote market or other, the rest of companies out there doing quite well. And I think we're starting to see that a little bit. And we've always, I want to say always, but we certainly in recent years have kind of prided ourselves on you know, avoiding that temptation. You, you remember we owned some of those companies for years and years and years and years up until before about, they were cool. Before they were cool until a few years ago. <clears throat> you know, eighteen nineteen was the biggest sales we had. Oh, Amazon, Nvidia, um, Apple was in there. Um, we had sold that earlier, but nonetheless, um, we the idea that innovation is going to happen from these gigantic companies is absurd. They're too big. They can't possibly, I mean, why is Amazon getting into the healthcare business? Uh, I mean, that's a sign of you know, groping for growth. <laughs> um, not to say that these companies are going away anytime soon. They're not. And NVIDIA is, is particularly, uh, is, 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 has proven to be a very successful company. What we thought would happen in, with NVIDIA has happened. And and they likely have more legs to them, but you know what? There's there's they have to pay attention. They can't just ignore what's coming up from below. Unfortunately, in the kind of environment we lived in in the last two decades, coming up from below has been really hard. But eventually, even that starts to get overrun. And I think is that the inflection that's happening now? I don't know, but it is. It's notable that for the last couple of weeks to a month, uh, the Magnificent Seven has grossly underperformed underperformed the typical, you know, non-S&P 500 index company that's out there. Um, certainly underperformed the bottom rung of the S&P 500, let's put it that way, which doesn't have a, all that much input, impact on the index itself. 
Well, my feeling, which is what could lead, which is what could lead you to a long period of time of underperformance from the market in general. Market in general, as, as defined by S and P five hundred or any of the very you know, large cap dominated indices that are out there. Well, I my feelings as to why we've probably hit a slightly more robust inflection point is much more conspiratorial. I just think that the, the powers that be, whoever they may be, are going to have the wind of the sails the incumbent party. So I think that, the, I think that probably again, again, the, the rule, the people who make the rules are going to have the wind at the sails at Biden for a, a nice soft uh, economy for the 2024 election. So that could be wrong, could be right, but that's my feeling on the matter. That's usually true of every election year. If you go back to the Stock Traders Almanac, the election years have historically been very good years. So it doesn't matter who's in there. It's, it tends to be a, a good year because of you know everybody. Incumbency wants to protect itself. That is definitely true of America. So, yeah. All right. And then let's move on to the investing basic for today. Basic topic we're going to cover for just a few minutes because it doesn't really require that much. In this case, we're going to talk about what is compound growth. Now, this is one of those quotes that I think might be bunk because it's so awfully quoted that it doesn't seem to be, it's too good to be true. Einstein calling compound compound interest or compound growth, the eighth wonder of the world. That's If, if he didn't say it, he might as well have because everyone's attributing that to him. I, yeah, I, don't, I don't know if he actually said it. It's probably a way to find out. Well, um, if you Google it, Google it's not all it. that wonderful. I mean, I, I mean, it's very it's wonderful, but it's not that much of a wonder because it's obvious. I mean, you get interest on interest on interest on interest, or return on return on return on return. That's the compounding effect. It's it has that geometric type of uh, you know algorithm uh, logarithmic factor to it that that simple interest and and, and simple returns just don't. So the more people understand that. We were just looking at a company, by the way, recently. I think it was the two of us that were looking at a company where if you invested $1,000 or no, it was $10,000. Oh, it was a mutual fund. And I, I had tip out to the Franklin Income Fund, which has been around since 1946. $10,000 is now $11 million. Not bad. Right. Not bad. Now, it's been a long time. What is that? 54 74, 70, uh, 77 years, something like that. Something like that. But nonetheless, that's the power of compounding. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a remarkable, it is a remarkable reality. It is, it's, it's simple math, but it's a remarkable reality of what that means. So it really argues for young people, please, the earlier you start, investing and and think of compounding let's just say i think the the long term return on the s&p 500 back to like 1925 is something like 11% um a a good way to kind of factor in how 11% what what 11% actually means and let's just say 10% the rule of 72 duck what is the rule of 72 uh let's see if you if you divide the interest rate into 72, that's how many years it takes to double? Correct, correct. So 10%, 7.2 years, you double your money. Well, you know, do the math on how many how many years, how many times, seven times 7.2 years, 
does it take to get to X that you, know, you can, you can really pretty easily figure that out. That's that power of compounding. So enough people, especially when they're young, enough young people don't understand or don't, I think they understand. I mean, it's not a hard intellectual topic, but they just don't see how important that is. Um, they don't, they don't see the impact. I think they, they can't, they can't bring themselves to, to think of the impact. And I mean, it's a human nature thing. When you, you when you're our age, we can see it more clearly because we've now lived a lot or longer period of time. When you're 20 years old, 25 years old, it's harder to see that. But man, does it ever make a difference? Um, it's what we, we've talked about dollar cost averaging and regular, you know, periodic in, in investments. I think our, our last, my favorite savings and investment plan, the half, half of the money goes into a long-term investment plan, half of it goes into cash. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're if you're start the earlier you start that the more powerful it is. Yep, and simple interest is just you have a hundred dollars invested, get ten percent. You take your ten dollars and you go take it out, and then next year you get another ten percent on your hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. So you take it out. So simple interest does not include the if you if you spend the simple interest and take it out of the account, you don't get growth on that simple interest. So compound interest just means that you are leaving the money, you are leaving the earnings in the account and getting growth upon growth. And eventually that, that makes a, you know, you get huge geometric returns. Yep. So if not, maybe it's logarithmic. Logarithmic. So yeah, logarithmic. So, and it's almost to get to the point where the, the, nothing matters more than the time. For instance, there's the old, I remember my father telling me this years ago, I wish it fueled my dad really taught me wrong because he, he gave me good advice. He just didn't make me take it. So I blame him for all my failings. So, but <laughs> at least that you're not worth more. Yes. There is the example <laughs> though. If you, if you invest in an IRA from the ages of like 18 to 28 and then leave it, you will get more than a person who invested say twice that from the, from the age of like 36 on. Uh, mm-hmm. And so obviously the math matters, but there are multiple models that, 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 that basically validate this point. That, that starting early matters more than anything when you're coming, you're talking about investing. And when you're talking about, you know, especially going to, and this will be our next topic, suffering. So, but, so stay tuned if you're interested for the next one. But and there you'll, it'll make sense why I'm even bringing that up next time. But the there's a term or a phrase out there. It's not timing the market. It's time in the market. That's the power of compounding. The longer that you're in and, and, and you'll go through periods when you're talking about the markets where it's you know not very good returns like the last two years. Well, stay tuned. Six months from now, it, it may be an aberration. And had you been continuing to add or at the very least just stuck with it, you end up being okay. You really do. So stick with it. Stick with it. All right. We're going to move on to something that won't take much time because neither of us are lawyers. But for your personal finance basic today, something to do, get an estate plan. What's an estate plan? It's a plan for your estate, Jerry. <laughs> it's what happens in the event of your death or incapacitation, right? Yes. And just about everyone needs a will in some form or fashion. Just about. Correct. Because if you don't, well, I guess... Even the argument could be if you don't have any ad. The, the number of people who don't need a will is so small. Just get a will. But an argument could be 
that, however, in that will, you usually have some sort of health care power of attorney associated with you. It does matter, matter regardless of what kind of wealth you have. That, because, that is true. And the younger you are, the more like it's more likely that you're going to become incapacitated than that you're going to die. And so you, the last thing you want is to have the state making decisions about your, you know, your demise or, or lack thereof. Um, yeah, you know, it's simple. It's, it's, it's very simple and it allows you to, to, you know, then go along, live your life and forget about it. A lot of people have this kind of, as I've experienced over the years in doing planning, some people have this apprehension because they think it's morbid or they don't want it to deal with their mortality. I'll tell you what, more often than not, I've seen it. The people that deal with it, they go live long, happy lives and there's no problem. The ones that don't are often the ones that get stuck. Or, you know, didn't didn't take care of it. And then something happens horrible. And, oh, my gosh, it's just a mess to unwind. Well, for me, what stopped me from doing it was never morbidity or fear of my my own death. It was just laziness. Well, um, that too. And so and not wanting to pay the money. But and I say that even when one of my my lawyers, one of my closest friends. But you have to get it. Everything straightened out. And you, you don't even at the very least write down a will. It doesn't necessarily even have to be with a lawyer. I mean, at the early stages, just make sure you write down something so that there's just so that and, and give it to a family member or, or, you know, a group of the family members just so that you a number of them so that they know what should happen in the event of your meeting an ill, an ill-fated circumstance. Yes. Basically, what you want is you want to, as Jerry said, avoid the state making the decisions about your health and your wealth. So an estate plan includes setting up healthcare power of attorney, your will, uh, a trust, which is something that you may use, you should use before you die to, to live out of if you have everything properly constructed. And distance and mileage may vary. Your needs for these things may, may vary. Uh, but you're probably going to, it's, this is prudent for most people who have any assets or dependents to speak of and want to make things easier for the, for the people who have to clean up the mess. And something else that needs to be said is, for those of us who are listening who happen to be Catholic, uh, especially, make sure you appoint a power of attorney who is in line with Catholic teaching on these matters of life and death. Because there are so many different gray areas and there are so many different contingencies. You can't possibly deal with all of them. The best thing you can do if you have a, you know, religious, religious beliefs that, that really should be adhered to in terms of how you plan for your, for your end of life. Just get a faithful Catholic named as your healthcare power of attorney so they can use the prudence necessary to deal with the situation as it arises. Amen. Enough said. All right. Now we're going to move on to our free enterprise saint and or center of the week. And this week we're going to pick someone who actually is kind of a saint and a center at the same time because they she has some beliefs that are very friendly to free enterprise and have been very, uh, very, what's the word, uh, influential in a lot of you know, right-wing free market thinking, but also has some social beliefs that really aren't in line with what Jerry and I uh, think. A very complex character, none other than. Well, she was an atheist. Yeah. So, and Plain and simple. Religious beliefs. I yeah. Know. Right. So I suppose that's the sinner aspect, but let's not overly focus on that and just focus on the saint aspect, which was a promoter of free enterprise. Anybody who's read Atlas Shrugged or Fountainhead, 
you know, knows where she's coming from. And, uh, you know, I think and maybe giving some credit to Ayn from a moral perspective. Um, I, I think she maybe there was a little bit of an over um, simplification with respect to it's people working in their own self-interest. Maybe not. I mean, at the end of the day, that's, I guess that's what she was pushing for people working towards their own self-interest free of an encumbrance by government will end up providing for the good of society in general by way of being free to operate free enterprise, whatever. I mean, um, yeah, I, you made a comment earlier when we were talking about this, that she really was not a fan of libertarianism. I, I, I guess, but she's a libertarians are a fan of hers. Oh yes, no, definitely. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess what you're saying is she had has was on record as saying she was against anarchy. I don't know that. I don't know that libertarians are for anarchy. No, um, I think that's. I'm saying, but that's what she believed. She believed libertarianism was, if the internet can be believed, you know, libertarianism uh, was what led road to anarchy. anarchy. Maybe but she clearly has been a huge influence in libertarian thinking. There's no doubt for about sure. That. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I think it's good for anybody to read those books um, because they're the, without getting too caught up into the weeds of what she was really about and what she thought and her moral views. Um, there's just one great example after another, after another, after another of the folly of government trying to micromanage and, and getting themselves intertwined into the lives of people. Um, what she's lacking and, you know, besides just being an atheist in our view, which doesn't work for us, um, is a lack of respect for, um, you know, like I like to say, Hey, you know, the world wouldn't be a bad place if everybody just followed the 10 commandments. <laughs> um, it would, it would actually be a pretty good place. You know, she, she doesn't give any credit to that whatsoever. Uh, at least I haven't found it in any of the reading that I've done. Maybe there is some out there. Who knows? Maybe she, we don't know what happened to her in her last breath. But nonetheless, um, definitely a, a, an icon for um, the promotion of free enterprise and and, and uh, allowing for the, the 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 markets. I hate to use those terms, but business to to be self determined, you know, have the, their own determination, be, be able to determine how what what path they take. Um, and in the interest of, we talked, we spoke last time about Friedrich Hayek and road to serfdom and the rules of the road. It's okay to have the rules of the road. Just don't tell me which way, you know, I have to go or where I have to go. Um, I can take a different route and I can decide which, which, where I want to go without anybody's, you know, involvement. Well, just putting to bed what she thought of the Libertarian Party, you can see numerous examples of her calling, calling them right-wing hippies. Uh, from mm. a 71, 1971 interview with her. What do you think of the Libertarian Party? Her answer, I'd rather vote for Bob Hope, the Marx Brothers, or Jerry Lewis. They're not as funny as John Hospers and the Libertarian Party. <laughs> so Interesting. Again, she was no social conservative, but she did view them as, you know, as right-wing hippies. <laughs> so, yeah. In another article, she said uh, all kinds of people today call themselves libertarians, especially something calling itself the new right, which consists of hippies who are anarchists instead of leftist collectivists. But anarchists are collectivists. So, but again, there's no question that libertarians are a fan of her and she's influenced libertarian thinking. So, Ayn Rand, saint and sinner. All right. Well, they 
hopefully she found something on her deathbed. Let, let, let's qualify all this. We're all sinners. No, this is true. Yeah. We're, we're, we're being uh, smart. <laughs> we needed a tire segment, all right? Smart so, Ale- it's a smart so- Alex segment. Yep. <laughs> all right. So all right. that's going to close us down for this week in a tight 24 or so minutes. Thanks for joining us in the Long Only Podcast. Remember, check us out on, hopefully, on YouTube for too long. You might be seeing it here and share it. And also Instagram, taylorforgotten.invest and our website, of course, taylorforgotten.com. Until you see us next time, I am Doug. I'm Jerry. Thanks for joining us on the Long Only Podcast. Peace.